Even if Kyle came in and was like, you have to marry the Rain Wilder because he has a lot of money. She'd be like, yeah, daddy, you're so smart. Ooh, I should not have said it like that. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 16, Taking Charge. So the first part of this chapter, we are with Althea. And we join her right as Brashen is leaving and get her thoughts on the whole situation where at the end of last chapter, they all had kind of gathered and learned the vivacia had been taken over by pirates, that Captain Kennet who supposedly kills all of the slavers, uh, Cruz, has taken her hostage and claimed her as his own ship. So they're kind of deciding to get together, to band together, to work towards a common cause, and that's kind of where we left it. But we didn't get to see Althea's point of view of those of that situation while we had Brashen being like, oh, I hope Althea notices me. Yes, the whole time. So she says that she had left the dusty dark uh, room dark and did not even lean too close to the window lest Brashen look back and chance to see her. Althea had been lucky she had been struggling with Malta when she first entered the study that evening. No one had remarked on her red cheeks or lost breath. She did not think that even Brashen had realized her moment of panic at seeing him. So, obviously, a little bit of a situation at seeing Brashen again. Yeah, she was very surprised. Um, I will clarify that she is currently in a maid's room, or what would be a maid's room if they had any, and that is where she is looking out at Brashen as he leaves. And yeah, there definitely is some tension there. She is confident that nobody noticed, but also cannot believe she had that reaction. And she's trying to kind of chalk it up to the fact that in seeing Brashen there with her panicked mother and sister, she assumed the worst that Brashen had come forward to tell them what had gone on between them and to even worse, ask for her hand in marriage to make up for the fact that (laughs) he had sullied her good grace. (laughs) She had felt a secret relief that she did not have to admit publicly what she had done, what she had done. She accepted that now. Amber's words had made her confront herself on that issue weeks ago. She was almost ashamed now that she had tried to hide behind excuses. What they had done, they had done together. If she wanted to respect herself as a woman and an an adult, she could not claim otherwise. She had only spoken otherwise, she decided truthfully, because she had not wanted to be blamed for such an irresponsible act. If he had really tricked or coerced her into bed with him, then she could justify the pain she had felt since then. She could have been the wronged woman, the seduced innocent, abandoned by a heartless sailor. But such roles insulted both of them. So she's kind of had to confront that in herself that, yeah, it was a consensual relationship and a consensual moment between both of them. Right. Yeah, I think... I like the growth that we see from her in this matter. And I think it shows again, this really good relationship she has with Amber that, and the importance of having friends that push back 
on you when you're wrong so that you can grow. I think it's really good um, that we have that and that she has stepped away from pretending it's not something that she wanted or chose for herself and giving herself that agency back. Right. So from there, Althea then begins to focus more on Brashen and what he looked like when they were last or when he was just there and talk about how she realized she did miss him and had been missing him, but she's also kind of disappointed in him because she did notice immediately the Sindin burn on his lip and is kind of disappointed in him for not living up to the man that her father knew he could be and kind of uses that as a reason why it can't be anything more than just old colleagues missing each other um, and disappointment the disappointment is coming from his weak will, not because he wasn't there for her. It hurt and disappointed her that he had turned pirate, yet such clothes suited him far better than the sober dress of a Bingtown trader's son ever had. She disapproved of everything about him, yet the sight of him had set her heart racing. She had regrets, she told herself. That was all. She regretted that betting with him had destroyed their easy companionship. She regretted that she had let herself do such an inappropriate thing with with such an inappropriate person. She regretted that he had given up and not become the man her father had believed he would. That was all she felt. Regrets. Again, trying to convince herself. We've talked about this ad nauseum, that a lot of the characters in these books just try to convince themselves of truths that are not there. Right. It's just easier to hide from the truth than it is to confront that and I think especially in this moment and Althea is still a little confused too um, she goes on to talk about how Brashen can't just be there to tell them about Vivacia there's no way he would come right. all that way just to let them know what happened there has to be something else that brought him back she just doesn't know what but then her, that switches her mind over to Vivacia, and her heart is wrenching because Kyle wasn't enough. Now there has to be some sort of trauma at the hands of a pirate as well. Right. So she talks about how no matter what the outcome is, Vivacia will be different than when she last met her because there's going to be trauma on her deck and just experiences in general. Yeah. And so that'll really change things. And she's kind of worried about what that means for the future and her relationship with Vivacia, but also is, I think, more concerned about Vivacia's well being in this rather than yeah. what she can do for the. It's also marking time. just the journey that they've all been through so far because she says she's going to be as different as I am from who I was then. As different right. as he is. Martin talking about Brashen at the end. So just noting that and a little introspection that these people have changed and things that are that Vivacia is going through is not just run of the mill. You know, right. she's not gonna be the same ship when she was newly awakened or starting to bond with Althea. Yeah. So that's definitely a hard thing that's going on there. And that is the last we get to really hear from Althea this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Which means we switch over to Malta. Yeah. And as we know, we ended on Malta's 
voice last chapter where she had decided that all these other women of the Vestrit family are scheming and conniving and control power hungry <laughs> people. So she needs to be the one to fix it because they're definitely not going to be able to do it. And, and she's kind of coming from a place of, I have things I can do to help, but it's also from that malicious point of view. Yeah. it's And she does reach out and do try to do things, you know? Yeah. I think a strength of Malta's character, a very rare compliment from me about Malta, <laughs> a strength of Malta's character is she does see to the quick of things and she isn't one to be bothered about flitting around the problem and trying to find the best way to handle things if there's already an option, right. she's going to take the option available to her, which I guess is a little bit of something you do when you're young to not fully think through things. But there is that like go getter attitude and that that sense of I have something I can do right now and I'm going to do that, which is kind of in contrast to Ronica, who is more like, let me think of all the options for a really long time to the point where now there's no more options and I'm forced into a corner. So Malta is recounting the rest of the night before Brashen heads off. The family had kind of gathered what was left and had a late dinner or late meal, mm -hmm. basically after midnight. And then after that, retired back to the study where Selden was even included in the conversation. But before I talk about her feelings on all of this, I want to make mention of the line that when Rach had come in later from her day off in town, the family in Brashen had moved to the grandfather's study. So that just, you know, goes to show that Malta, yeah, definitely sent a runner for her family. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that is a good point to bring up. I do also want to correct you really quick. It is after midnight when she slips away from the group, so they're not eating at midnight. They're eating oh, yeah, late yeah, afternoon. Yeah. Or, well, later than probably normal dinner time. Right. Good call. So, yeah, even Selden had been included in the discussion, much to Malta's disgust. Yeah, the baby that's, what, two years younger than her, maybe? <laughs> All he did was ask stupid questions, which would not have been so bad, except that everyone kept trying to answer them in ways that he would understand while insisting that he should not be scared. Finally, he fell asleep on the hearth. Brashen had offered to carry him up to his bed, and her mother had actually allowed that instead of rousing the little bug. Malta is... Ugh. I think Selden is like seven or eight. So about five years difference between okay. the two. Where To the point where Malta has to look after him a few times and then just makes him cry because Althea remarks on that. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just is funny Malta being like, Ugh, kids when right. she is a kid and I think part of that probably stems from the fact that she wanted to be special yes. she's not a kid she's capable of being a grown-up but now this other child of the family is also being told see Malta being the middle child has strong older child energy in my <laughs> mind like elder sibling like oh i was never allowed to do this so selden should never be allowed to do this okay, and when rude. she finally gets allowed selden is allowed too because the parents are like okay fine the kids are allowed in the discussion yeah and she's like no i'm an adult they have to wait their turn before they can get their cell phone <laughs> rude since you're the baby of the family of your family and i'm the oldest <laughs> 
very rude. I, I do not appreciate the call out. That is completely true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny to me because Wintrow's there, but like he doesn't count, you yeah. know, because he got sent off to be a priest and is no longer part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, there is that energy going on of like, seriously, I just had to spend like six months to a year proving that I could be a woman and I still barely have that. And Selden just comes in at the right time and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think that, again, points to her lack of maturity because clearly this isn't a situation that they can hide from Selden. Yeah. And. He deserves to know. Yeah. He needs to know that. Where's his father? Where his dad is. Yeah. (laughs) In a age appropriate way. And so it's also funny that she's mad. He's asking stupid questions when He doesn't know anything. He's a kid. He has been kept in the dark. He doesn't know as much as she does. So, of course, they sound stupid because she knows the answers. So, I don't know. But also, she can't take that knowledge of like, oh, children ask stupid questions and then turn that into an introspective thing of like, she's been asking stupid questions. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just part of it. Because she's intelligent. Yeah. She she knows everything. Um, No. And I truly believe that everybody asks stupid questions and they don't know things, but that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's like negative, right? Like you have to ask the stupid questions to get the substance and that's fine. It's just funny that Malta does not see herself mirrored in Selden. (laughs) And so now we figure out why Malta wanted to slip away from the family so badly. She draws her cloak more tightly about her. It was a fine summer night, but the dark cloak helped both camouflage her and keep the dew at bay. So she is outside right now. Her slippers and the hem of her gown were already soaked, so we know it is well after midnight, as she says, probably very, very early morning. Mm -hmm. And she is, as if, if you guys recall, on her way to meet Sir Wintrell, who she had told would she would meet them after you know at night yeah a certain gazebo or something somewhere yeah she had given Dello a message to pass on to her brother i believe yeah because Dello brought a secret note and the note so that he wanted to see her and so she told Dello like i'll tell him to meet me and she originally was not planning to make this meeting yeah she she wasn't sure if she was going to come or not but she ends her description here saying that she longed to go back to the house. She reminded herself she must be brave. This was no prank or test of her will. What she did now, she did for her father's sake. She was sure he would understand. So we know at the end of last chapter, she kind of made that determination, like, I have to do things now. And Mm -hmm. she wasn't sure at the beginning of last chapter whether she would go to this meeting, but now she is going to try to use this leverage to get money to ransom her father back. Right. And I think this line specifically points out to the fact that she has some understanding of what's proper and improper. And Oh yeah. Although she did make kind of a big mistake, I would call it whenever she dressed for the trader ball yeah. in secret and dressed up like she a courtesan. So young then. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so young. <laughs> um I think that points to the fact that she just was ignorant in that and that there is some sort of sense of what's mm-hmm. proper and not proper. And she tries to toe the line. I think especially last chapter, we had her inappropriate comments towards Brashen. It's clear that she 
still doesn't quite know what that line is or understand the danger of flirting with that line. But I think this shows that in her mind, she does have a firm grasp of what's appropriate and She's inappropriate. She's 13 now. She's yeah. had experience. And so I think <laughs> in mentioning that this isn't a prank, I'm going here and my father will understand. It lets us know that she knows meeting a man at night in secret is super inappropriate and would not be looked, even if nothing happens, if society found out her father's going to be upset with her. Also, she's in her nightgown. She is previously has been kind of towing the line mm -hmm. and playing with Serwin. And now this is a very direct meeting. Yes. In her mind, that was all fun and games before. This is me using my skills to get what I want again. And even though it might verge on inappropriate, it's worth it because lives are at stake. Right. So I, I do want to point out that like clear acknowledgement of society's expectations and how she would normally not go this far. But she is going towards yeah. in the middle of the night to see a man and there's a little break here talking about how she thinks it's funny that Althea tried to implore her to work together for uh, to get the ship back yeah, and, and her father. And how her grandmother even made a good show of it, but they can't do anything or they, they don't think Malta can do anything about it. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because I don't, I didn't necessarily get that sense from them. I mean, I don't necessarily know that it was like a. I get that sense from Althea. And probably Ronica as well. They're just kind of like, don't oppose us in trying to help get your father back. But I don't know that they don't think that there's nothing. I don't think that they're like, there's nothing she could do to help. I think they're like. I just don't think they're thinking of it. You know? Yeah. I, I think it's an afterthought. And I think if anything, they would be like, okay, here's some ways you could help. Yeah. If she asked, if she was like, Hey, I want to help. What can I do? Mm-hmm. They would find something for her, but she just is taking the route of, they don't even understand how powerful I am. And so Malta knows the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. While mother wept in her bedchamber and boiled wine as an offering to saw and aunt Althea and her grandmother lay awake thinking of what might be sold off to raise coin. Only Malta would act. Malta alone realized that she was the one who could rally others to their aid Her resolve hardened as she thought about it. She would do whatever she had to do to bring her father safely home. Then she would see to it that he knew who had truly made a sacrifice for him, who said that women could not be brave and daring for the sake of those they loved. Fortified with this thought, she picked her way along the path. First of all, no one says that. No, literally, you are (laughs) the only one who thinks that, Malta. Well, you and Kyle. But, like, um, the three strong women you're just belittling earlier... Yeah, they don't say that. Only Malta is going to make the sacrifice. Only she is making any sort of sacrifice at all. And that sacrifice is, checks notes, going to see a cute boy that she has a crush on anyway late at night. And manipulating him to give her money. Yeah, like, (laughs) what a sacrifice. I'm sure your father would be so proud. (laughs) So she's, she's approaching this trellis area and... For a second, all the spook tales she had ever heard about the rain wilds assailed her. Had rain set something to watch over her and would think it was her betraying him and all these kinds of things kind of are creeping through her mind as she's approaching this late night rendezvous. And 
it, this is especially making her think of that because she sees a faint glow. And so mm-hmm. where's the glow coming from? Soft yellow light flickered and swayed. But it's just a candle or yep. several candles, potentially, that Sirwin had set up to set the mood. <laughs> her heart surged and raced. It was perfect. A minstrel's romantic tale. She was the heroine. The young woman wronged by fate and her family, beautiful, young, and heartbroken over her father's captivity. Despite all that her loving, unloving family had done to her, she would be the one to make the ultimate sacrifice that saved them all. Serwin was the young man who had come to deliver her, for his manly young heart thundered with love for her. He could not do otherwise. She stood still in the fickle moonlight, savoring the drama of it all. So again, we, we've talked before about Malta's love for dramatics, and Rain even comments on it that he's wearing the gloves and veil, not because he has to, because mm-hmm. he's relatively unmarked, yeah, but because she likes the mystery. Yeah, she likes. That. Yeah, she likes the drama. She likes the story of it all, and I think. A romance novel reader. Yeah, yeah. This is very, she's heard a lot of romance tales and she just wants to be the heroine of a romance ho- tale, which whomst among us does not want that. You know, like I get it. <laughs> Respect. I will say I've never dreamed of that personally, but. <laughs> You've never dreamed of. Being the. <laughs> the heroine of a romance novel? No, making a sacrifice for a, a young boy whose heart thunders with love for me. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I think it's it's really done well here, right? I think seeing the youngness, the feeling how different she is as a character to all of the other women, I think yeah. is especially present here that Malta is young. She's a young girl and she wants that fairy tale life. She wants herself to be the hero and her life to have more meaning than everybody else's. And that has to be how it is because that's what she wants. And it's kind of sad as much as I don't love Malta. I still don't love how her heart and hopes are kind of dashed in this scene because real life doesn't live up to fantasy. She's so set on her expectations of this being know in words for our world a movie scene yeah she is so set on things playing out exactly as she sees it that she's very disappointed in how Serwin acts yeah and it's funny because she wants she has expectations of what's going to happen she thinks that she can predict what's going to happen because she is so skilled at manipulating the stage that she is on she's the main character yeah that other people will follow and it will happen the way she wants but she doesn't really take into consideration that everyone else has free will and even if she is manipulating them to do the things she wants that doesn't mean that they have to respond to that in the way that she is hoping right so she's seeing Sirwin pace back and forth who's making the erratic lighting and Dello huddling up under a corner with her cloak and his hands were empty she frowned to herself that didn't seem right rain would have brought her flowers at least well perhaps whatever serwin had for her was small maybe it was in his pocket she refused to let it spoil the moment again another instance where 
like, why would he bring you a gift? Why would that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I get the want for that. I understand why you would think that would make the perfect scene. But the fact that it even is a dampener. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, no present. Okay, Malta. It's fine. <laughs> so she preps herself to go in and confront him, scraping her teeth over her lips to redden them and enters to the spill of light from the gazebo. Before we get more into it, I just want to make a quick comment. Dello is here, and Dello has been waiting just as long as Sirwin has. And originally, Malta wasn't going to come, and Malta justified that last chapter by saying, oh, Sirwin's a hearty young lad. He can spend the night outside. It won't hurt anything. Right. But she literally didn't think anything about Dello being there. Oh, and no. I don't know if she, like, talks about it. I can't remember off the top of my head if she touches on that at all during this, but I feel like there would be a little bit of disappointment there on Malta's side that Dello even showed up. Like, why wouldn't it just be the two of them in a secret rendezvous? Like she makes a couple comments of she wishes Dello wasn't there, but I don't think she specifically is like, Oh, Dello shouldn't be here at all. I can't believe he brought her. No, I think she understands that Dello Mm. needed to come along kind of, but it's spoiling her movie scene moment. Right. So she gets ready. She walks forward at a dignified pace, her face grave. Serban notices her, says, Malta, his voice choked with suppressed emotion. He strode toward her. He would sweep her up in his arms. She braced herself for that, but instead he halted and then dropped to one knee before her. His head was bowed, and she could see only his dark curly hair. In a tight voice, he said, Thank you for coming. When midnight passed and you were not here, I feared... He gasped in a breath that was almost a sob. I feared I had no hope at all. Honestly... He, like, plays into the dramatics, Sir, too. Serwin and Malta deserve each other. They I do. like. I truly believe they're a great match because they're both so dramatic. Yeah. Although, you know what? Maybe that's why they don't work, because he almost upstages her, and she cannot mm, be having that. True. He's like, doing his own play here. Yeah, yeah. And she's. he's not letting her be the main character. He's so. the gallant hero. Mm-hmm. Coming in to sweep the young maiden off her feet. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 this is a story about the but young the maiden. the proper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the proper man. <laughs> okay, so she obviously is, as as you mentioned before, she notes mm-hmm. Dello at the corner of her eye and is like kind of annoyed at the moment, but she has to respond and like is playing into it like it's just her and Serwin here. It spoiled the mood to have Serwin's little sister watching them. She pushed the thought away. Ignore her. It didn't matter. Dello couldn't tell anything without getting in big trouble herself. So she really plays into it, brings him up, saying, like, how could I not come? And really leaning into, you don't have no hope. You have all the hope in the world. It's my wicked family, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> the, how could you think I would not come? No matter what sorrows batter me. No matter what danger to myself. You should have known I would come. Like, oh my God. I dared to hope, he admitted. When he looked up at her, she was shocked. He strongly resembled Brashen, yet he suffered in the comparison. She had thought Serwin manly and mature. Now, after she had watched Brashen for an evening, Serwin appeared a callow youth. The comparison annoyed her. It made her conquest less of a triumph. He caught her two hands, then dared to kiss each of her palms before releasing them. You must not, she murmured to him. You know I am promised to another. So, before we dive further in, now we have a little bit of a comparison. Mm-hmm. Brashen and Serwin. 
Yeah, I think this is an interesting thought from her to have. I think it it goes to show that Brashen, Brashen's visit kind of shattered the illusion. There must not be a lot of people Brashen's age, men Brashen's age, around at the trader meetings for her to see very often, I assume because mostly they're off trading. Or married. Or married. And so I or think... Or they would have never been brought to her attention because she's only been around the young single men around Sermon's age because of Dello. Right, true. So I was thinking that Malta sees herself as an adult because someone like Serwin is approachable is yeah like 18 uh, that's, or 17 yeah, year old serwin like, that makes sense that he's the adult or not adult but like he's the older man that mm-hmm. she's been idolizing and all of his group of friends these are the the men that she's seen and she's like oh yeah like i'm an adult they're an adult that means i'm an adult i can do this i can seduce them this is easy blah 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 but then she's never actually had to compare that to what a real adult is. And I think especially in the society where the young adults that are in their early 20s to early 30s, they are out doing things. They're out. Right. They're gone. They're not able to participate as much in these society events. It makes a little bit more sense to me why she would see herself as an adult if there's no other adults that young adults around to say otherwise i guess so yeah i think that that's definitely something that we learn here and then also a little bit savage that she's like "Ugh, your brother's hotter (laughs) or at least more mature and more of a conquest i guess yeah like someone's too easy yeah (laughs) he's a house cat (laughs) so so serwin is saying, like, I'll never allow Rain to have you. You know, you're not promised to him. We can be together, whatever. And Malta is saying, playing up the dramatics, as we said before, and saying, no, it's too late. The tidings that your brother brought to us tonight make make my fate inevitable. My father's life depends on it. So he surges to his feet and is like, what are you saying? What news came? My brother brought it? Your father's life? I don't understand. For an instant, her voice tightened with real tears. Pirates have captured our family ship. Brashen was kind enough to bring us word of it. We fear my father and brother may already be dead, but if they are not, if any chance remains, oh, sir, when somehow we must find the money to ransom them, and yet, how can we? Humbling as it is, I know you are aware of our financial difficulties. Once word gets out that our ship has been taken, our creditors will close in like sharks. I do not know how we will feed ourselves, let alone find money to ransom my father. I fear I will be wet off to the Rainwilder immediately. As much as that distresses me, I know it is what I must do. Rain is a generous man. He will help us get my father back. If marrying him is what it will take, I do not mind so much. Her voice cracked on these final words. She swayed, genuinely overcome by her cruel fate. He catches her and says, You poor, brave child. Can you imagine that I would allow you to go to a loveless marriage even for the sake of your father? And so she's playing that up, like really saying, you know, I'm the savior here. I have to do everything within my power and believing it herself. Yeah, she really does believe this narrative that she is the main character and that fate has 
worked against her to back her into this corner that there is literally no other choice than marrying Rain, which... She's partially right, but not in the bigger thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because that's the easiest option for sure, but that doesn't mean it's the only option. And... I also feel a little bad for her because in this moment she's trying to be like, look at me, a brave woman. And Serwin's response is, you poor child. Like, yeah. <laughs> so even Serwin knows that she is too young, which like a, a little weird um, that he is still pursuing that. But yeah, having Malta in this moment of really come face to face with her role of this is real. I am really in this horrible bind with no way out. She is strongly playing on his emotions too. Cause then after she brings up like, you know, I'll think of, I'll be thinking of saving my father when I'm married to rain and have to accommodate him. Yeah. And Serwin's like, no, it'll never come to that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because I think it really, again, I'm, I feel like I've said this 800 times this episode alone, but it really highlights her immaturity in her child childishness that she doesn't understand that it's not just her family that is struggling financially like she's just because they are hit really hard and she is living it doesn't mean that the trells are way better off even though they're probably better off than her family they don't have the money to save that even if serwin was currently the head of the family his father just died dramatically he could spend the family money, whatever way he chose, they don't have enough money to help this situation. Probably not. So I just find it really ironic that Malta spends all this time saying, I'm the only adult. I'm the only one who knows what's going on, but like can't even grasp the concept that because of the slavery, because of the things that she has been, her family has been trying to teach her, Bingtown as a whole, and especially the old traders, are struggling financially together. It's not just them. Also goes to show the immaturity of Serwin, because if he was the head of the family, he would be throwing money at Malta right now. Yeah, he absolutely would. <laughs> and they don't have that money. Like, I don't know. It's, they do have a, a live ship. Yeah. And it probably trades up the Rainwild River. So they, right. like, you know, like you mentioned, they probably have more money than the Vestrits, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because they're not just reliant on crops. Right. No, and I do I, I don't want to pretend like everybody else is a step away from the vestrate level of destitute, but they just have to cut back on their groundskeeping, not their actual servant staff. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like yes, they would have money and potentially they would have enough money to throw at this problem, but I don't think they have enough money to throw at this problem and Spare. stay afloat. Yes. So like <laughs> So like, which is why I'm saying yeah. with Serwin being as immature as he is with, I don't, I'll call him naive Sure, <laughs> as naive as he is with Malta being as malicious as she is in her manipulations. She's yeah. out here trying to bankrupt a family. Yeah. Because <laughs> to help her own. she has no intention of then marrying Serwin instead. If she can help it, if she can get, Serwin to just give them money that is her best case scenario that is what she's hoping for here and then it'll be like well thanks for the help I actually love somebody else now and he says I do not claim to be as wealthy as a rain wilder but all I have and all I ever will have I put at your service (laughs) Oof. okay bud (laughs) I mean at least they've known each other for a while presumably because 
she's been hanging out with Dello this whole time. Mm -hmm. So I assume as children, they played together a little bit, but still guy, you've known this girl for what? I don't know. It's funny. Young love. (laughs) So she's still playing on that saying like, Oh, playing on his, probably his pride and ego a little bit. Oh, I didn't think you could. You don't like have that much money to give, right? Your father is still the main trader. Mm-hmm. Poor Brashen is proof that he runs his household with a f- firm hand. I know what your heart bids you to do, but in reality, there may be little you can actually command. So she's trying to dig to see like what he can actually do for her and like mm-hmm. get solid promises. But she makes a mistake by bringing up Brashen. Right. Because that's like her second mistake around Brashen in as many days or many chapters, I guess. Because she tries to seduce him in the house and he's like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. And now this time bringing up Brashen when she's never, she doesn't know the relationship. Yeah. And Serwin gets sidetracked on the topic of Brashen. Right. And you would think that there was enough of a hint that it isn't a great relationship when he was already stumbling over the fact that Brashen brought the news. Right. And then here when she makes the mention of Brashen, it's... Yeah, like you said, it just is a misstep because now Serwin is focused on Brashen and ranting about him, saying... She draws it back in pretty quick, but yeah, it's... Mm. My brother bought, uh, brought about his own misfortunes. Do not pity him. Your other words are true, and I do not deny them. I cannot put the entire trial fortune at your disposal, but... And then she cuts him off and says, as if I would ask that. And she tries to, you know, turn it back to (laughs) her problems. the money. Yes. (laughs) To how you're going to get me my money. (laughs) But yeah, I think it is interesting to have this reaction. It makes me wonder how Dello and Serwin feel about Brashen. Like, do they know why Brashen doesn't talk to them anymore? Or I feel like Serwin does. Dello... It depends on how open their family is, but as Brashen was talking about in last chapter, she was very small, mm-hmm. probably like between one and three years old. Yeah. So it just makes me wonder if if there's a little bit of tension there because Serwin's upset that his brother stopped talking to him and abandoned them, if that's kind of the narrative that they have, or... If probably heard stuff from his father. Yeah. And I mean, around town people gossip, but I wonder if part of that too is like a little bit of hurt that, oh, my brother doesn't talk to me anymore, which isn't necessarily Brashen's fault because I'm sure Brashen isn't able to contact them, but there could also be how dare Brashen ruin the reputation of our family. Right. Yeah. So she turns it back towards her problems here saying like, what must you think of me? That I might come to you at night to risk my at risk of my reputation to ask for money. She turned aside from him in a swirl of cloak that briefly revealed the white cotton nightgown she wore beneath it. She heard Della's indrawn gasp. She scuttled out of the gazebo to stand, stand beside Malta. You are practically naked, she scolded her. Malta, how could you? There. If Serwin had been too dense to notice it before, he knew it now. And so she draws herself up with dignity, saying like, oh, I had to do it like this. I had no choice. I had one chance to slip out, and I took it. I don't regret it. Serwin has been a gentleman enough to ignore it and not shame me. It is not as if I chose to come to him this way. Cannot you understand that my father's life is at stake, Dello? This is not an ordinary time, and the ordinary rules do not apply. So she does a really good job here of turning the attention back to herself. One, to 
try to capture Serwin's heart and lust mm-hmm. a little bit more. And to to switch the narrative on Dello, because Serwin chimes up here and says, like, yeah, don't be such a child about this. I I'm yeah. very proper and I <laughs> don't care about modesty when people's lives are at stake. Right. And I think also it's a good way for her to push Dello down and be like, you're such a naive child. You don't know anything. I'm the adult in this situation. But yeah, it is It is really interesting that she decided to do it in this way. And right. poor Dello, I mean, it's two against one here. She's losing. But it. I think it's funny Malta's like, normal rules don't apply to me when I don't want them to. When <laughs> she literally... There is no excuse for anybody else breaking normal rules like her aunt right. Althea or her mother or yeah. her grandmother. And so, you know, just having her be like, normal rules don't apply because I'm the one who makes the rules. <laughs> but as you said, Della was kind of ganged up on, but Malta doesn't want that. She doesn't want Della to gossip about this. So she's trying to placate her a bit saying, I know you are only trying to protect me. I love you for it. Nevertheless, I am sure that your brother would never do me harm. You see, I know your heart, and that tells me much of his. You are honorable people. I do not fear to be alone with him. Oh, Malta, you see so much. Obviously moved, she retreated once more to the gazebo (laughs) to leave them, you know, to have a private talk. Mm -hmm. So Malta does a good job of placating Dello, knows that, you know, Dello... Dello now knows that Malta's on her side and knows them to be honorable people. Yeah, I think big ask of Malta to think that this little comment that's nice is going to keep Dello from not running her mouth, considering <laughs> everything we know about Dello is that she is constantly gossiping. So so this story is going to get out, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that this detail will be spared, I think the second Dello finds it entertaining enough, she's going to spread the rumor. <laughs> so I find it admirable that Malta would think of herself as skilled enough to deter a gossiper from gossiping. But at least it won't be in a malicious way. Right. So now alone again, she gathers her cloak around herself tightly so it shows off her body more. <laughs> well aware of that. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, the guise of modesty. Right. Which... <laughs> Like, presumably, the way I picture this is that her cloak is basically covering everything anyway, and that's why nobody noticed anything or said anything until she did the twirl, because that's when it came open. Obviously, there's Mm -hmm. no buttons on cloaks, necessarily, all the way down, and so, like, that's why it was said anything, so she really doesn't need to, like, hold it tight to her, but there she goes. (laughs) Might as well, I guess. Sir Wynn. Then gives a sigh. It shames me that I must speak so plainly, but my need forces me to it. I do not ask all that you have and all you will ever possess. Whatever you can offer me discreetly and comfortably, I shall it gratefully accept. But more important to me would be for your family to join forces with mine. Tomorrow night there is to be a traitor's council meeting. I shall be there. Please come. If you can move your father to attend and speak out for us, it would help us greatly. The loss of our ship and my father is not solely my family's loss. It affects all Bingtown traders. If these cutthroat pirates do not fear to capture a live ship, what will they not take? If they do not fear to hold prisoner a Bingtown trader and his son, who is safe? 
Malta's voice had grown righteously impassioned. She seizes Sirwin's hand and says, If your family could unite with mine in this, perhaps my grandmother would reconsider Rain's courtship. Perhaps she might see there are better matches. So this this part, before we move on to what she wishes and what actually happens, mm-hmm. is the meat of everything. And this is actually where she has been maturing. She sees a larger picture than just trying to get his money, right? right. We've been very harsh on her, just... Oh, she's just trying to bankrupt the Trell family and get any money she can. She says, discreetly and comfortably, give me money. Yes. But don't bankrupt yourself. Just ally your family with ours because she does place trust in her mother, her aunt, and her grandmother. Because that was their plan. Yeah. To try to go to the Traitor's Council. She's taking some of Althea's arguments here. Not all of them. No. But the pirate thing and really kind of playing that up and that's a sensible option and something that Sirwin can do. So it is a very, very savvy play by her here. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really smart to acknowledge that it's not possible to get all his money. I think if she thought she could get all of the trail fortune right now, she would have played that harder. But she does acknowledge that. That's not going to happen. So she has to make sure that she's getting something out of this. And that also will be enough to string him along. And by giving him the carrot, the dangle of the carrot of maybe if you do this well enough, we can be the ones getting married. Right. And you'd save me from the Rainwilder. It's, I mean, really impressive. Yeah. (laughs) It's really impressive. She's really you know, taking what he wants to hear and folding it into her own needs. I think it's really well done. Um, She just doesn't quite understand fully how real life is going to work when this happens. She has delivered this line. She is so proud of the delivery and she expects that now he will sweep her up and give her a kiss and it will be magical and amazing. Like and the end of a minstrel song. Yes. And that doesn't happen. <laughs> Instead, he fell to his knees before her. I will come to the traitor's council tomorrow night. I will speak to my father and convince him the trells should lend their support to your family. You will see. I will prove to you and your family that I am worthy of you. It took her a moment to find a suitable response. She had been so certain he would kiss her. What had she done wrong? I have never doubted your worthiness, she faltered at last. She could almost taste her disappointment. He came back to his feet slowly. He looked down at her, eyes shining. I will be worthy of your confidence, he promised her. She waited, thinking he might suddenly embrace her and kiss her ardently. Her skin tingled all over, awaiting his touch. She dared to look straight into his face, her eyes burning with passion. She wet her lips and parted them invitingly as she tilted her chin up toward him. Until tomorrow, Malta Haven, he said fervently, you will see how well I keep my word. Then, as if he were bidding her farewell at an afternoon tea, he bowed gravely, turned to his sister, said, Come, Dello, I had best be getting you home, and then sweeps away. Farewell, Malta, Dello sighed. Then she waggled her fingers at her friend. I'll ask my mother if I may come to the trader's council also. Maybe we can sit together. I'll see you then. And she just stands there in disbelief, disbelief, 
What had she done wrong? No gift token of his affection, no passionate kiss. He had not even pleaded to be allowed to escort her part of the way back to her house. She frowned after them. Then in an instant she realized her error. The fault was not hers, but Sirwin's. He was simply not man enough to live up to her expectations. <laughs> Sorry. It's... To some extent, yeah, I guess. If if you're with somebody and they don't meet your expectations, it's totally fine to be like, yeah, they just aren't the person that I need them to be for my needs, and that's fine. But the fact that it's like a blame thing it's like, not me it's you <laughs> yeah. oh no you're right i didn't do anything wrong it is you that did something wrong i went by the playbook i did everything perfectly he was supposed to kiss me like the end of the minstrel song and, and then he, he didn't. didn't and <laughs> stuck to decorum i made my figure known to him what else could i do <laughs> i showed off my ankles <laughs> i wet my lips and parted them slightly what else did he need <laughs> I've been hinting so strongly at it. (laughs) (laughs) I looked him right in the eyes. (laughs) It's like so goofy. And I mean, it is. I think the first time I read this, I also was a little surprised that he didn't even just like kiss her hand again or something. Yeah, he did once. Yeah, he kissed her palms. But I even I was a little like, okay, (laughs) but it is. I think sad because it does kind of break reality, but in typical Malta fashion, it's not because that's just real life. It's because the other person did something wrong. It's right. Like she played the part correctly. And he's that was just not, he's yeah. just too young for her. Yeah, clearly <laughs> any real man would have done better. Like, no, no, <laughs> I don't think so, but. So she's frustrated and disappointed here, and she knits her brow in frustration, or in thought, but then self-consciously smooths them out because she doesn't want a line, like a lined forehead like her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Which, very funny. <laughs> As though not frowning is going to keep those lines away. I mean, maybe for a little bit longer than somebody who frowns more, but they're coming, baby girl. <laughs> Brashen had made her frown. He had been so rude to her at first, but then, when she was offering him coffee and flirting a bit, he had definitely reacted to her. She would wager that if he had been the one meeting her in the gazebo tonight, she would have been thoroughly kissed. A sudden shiver ran up her back at that thought. It was not that she liked him. He looked far too coarse in his pirate silks and long mustache. He had still stunk of the ship when he came to the door, and his hands were scarred and rough with calluses. No, she felt no attraction to that man. But his sidelong glances at her Aunt Althea had stirred her interest. The sailor had watched her move like a hungry cat stalking a bird. Althea never met his eyes. Even when she spoke to him, she contrived to be looking out the window, or stirring a cup of tea, or picking at her fingernails. Her avoidance of his glance had distressed him. Time after time, he had addressed his remarks directly to her— At one point, she had even gone over to Selden and sat on the floor beside him, taking his hands as if her nephew could shield her from Brashen's avid eyes. So she's kind of remarking and again comparing Serwin to Brashen here. Right. And she ends this musing with, she firmly intended to find out what was between them. She would discover just what Althea knew that could make a man look at her like that. What would she have to say to make Serwin look at her so warmly? She shook her head. No, not Serwin. Comparing him to his older brother had opened her eyes. He was a boy still, with no heat to his glance or power of his own. 
He was a poor fish, a catch she should throw back. Even Rain had had more warmth to his touch. Rain always brought her gifts. She might, after all, use the dream box tonight. <laughs> <sighs> oh, she's so capricious. Yeah. I keep rolling my, I keep leaning forward to the mic to roll my eyes as though you guys can hear it. Just know there's been a lot of eye rolls and <laughs> none so big as this one. <laughs> it's so funny that she thinks that it's something that she's doing wrong to make a man not look at her that way. And I think. And that there's like some sort of secret formula. Yeah. Like what did Althea say? Like, you, what can I say now? Yeah. What do I do? What do I say to somebody? How do I treat someone that way to get them to look at me that way? Instead of realizing that you can't really manipulate feelings to that extent. Like you can make somebody think that you are more attractive to them or say things to get them to like you or be interested, but real deep feelings isn't a formula. That's not, it's not a thing you can just create, I guess. Right. And I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe you can do it, but the fact that she thinks that's what this is and the fact that she thinks that Althea would also do the things that she herself does to get the male attention. It's really interesting to me that there's no way somebody would look at Althea that way otherwise, unless she was also using these tactics to get male attention. <laughs> well, that's how you get male attention. Yeah. Is those tactics. That's what she knows. You, it's not just what because she learned. Yeah. It's not just because, you know, you're there. Oh, <laughs> 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 that naivety of children. No, I think, it is, it's really telling of Malta and her personality that she thinks that there is a formula you can follow. I don't want to say that Hobbes' underlying meaning here was that the reason that Althea's way to get Brashen to look at her that way was because they slept together. I like to believe that the reason Brashen looks at Althea that way is because there's deep feelings that they have that bond right. and that relationship and it has... And, and both of them have remarked on that in the past chapters, actually. I think Brashen has something like, you know, it wasn't just betting with Althea that made him uh, have feelings for her. Yeah. It was just the catalyst for him to realize that he has had feelings all along. Right. It was just kind of like one moment of intimacy kind of sparked that like, oh, man, I actually do care for her. Yeah. Lot. Like this is actually somebody I really care about. And I think yeah. I think that's the important thing is that it's just that's how people look at each other when they really deeply feel that need. <laughs> the way Luke just looked at me was a little scary. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't know. And I kind of like talking that. about, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, this is a, a big highlight of this section. It's a big, like a big spotlight right on Malta's character and what she really thinks of. And, I'm going to go back to something I think we talked about in Ship of Magic is when does Malta actually mature, right? Yeah. She has matured a bit. Mm -hmm. She has gotten a little bit better at seeing a large picture of seeing different sides of things and actually trying to work towards a goal. Yeah. But there's still nothing quite there. She's not there yet. 
I think this is a really big turning point for Malta. I think we're going to see that because I think this is the start of the disillusionment of what her father has been teaching her. Right. I think she believes because of the lessons she's learned from her parents and her father, especially that women don't have power and the only power they really have is over a man if they can get their wiles correct. And I think seeing that even if you do and say all of the things that you know will get the reaction you want, it isn't power. It's not, you're just, you're trying to manipulate people and you will successfully manipulate people, but it's not the same as just going after what you want and taking control of a situation in a more, I guess, honest way. Right. And so I think this is the start of that realization of maybe women aren't just pretty things to subtly move the chess pieces. Maybe they can. And I think that lesson is hammered home a little bit more at the end of this chapter with Tintaglia coming in and meeting them. She's like, oh, this is a being that can help directly. Right. And is female. Right. Yeah. And although it's hard to say whether you can tell that right off the bat. I think you can. can you? I okay. think I could be wrong, obviously, but. But yeah. And now I know in the first discussions we had during the first book, I was wondering if her maturation came from dragon magic. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know, but it's leaning towards that it's just the influence of a strong, powerful female, a queen, if you will, mm-hmm. a queen dragon, showing her that you can have power without relying on men. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And not necessarily just magic. So I'm looking forward to seeing if that develops how we want it and if her character develops over the last half of this book. Yeah, and I think this chapter especially really makes me excited for Malta and her growth. I think this is the first time I'm kind of seeing a little bit, even though she is still immature and she's still manipulative and she's still... Baby steps. Yeah, she's still like (laughs) making the same mistakes I've been mad at her for the whole book. I think... I know what's happening soon and I know where she's coming from and it's easier to see it now through the lens of growth and she's maturing and right. Yeah. I don't know. I really like that. Well, we are going to stop the chapter here and take a break and we'll, we'll have part two out for next week. It's a longer chapter and we're going to pick it up with Brashen's point of view as he's leaving the Vestrid house. Yeah. But we are going to call it quits there with Malta. Before we end, I just want to make the point that Malta absolutely saw everything that was going down with Bra- between Brashen and Althea. Yeah. And I think Althea made a comment. I don't know if we talked about it, but Althea did make a comment that that's why she was afraid to acknowledge Brashen because she didn't want Malta to get anything out of that interaction. Or her she, family. Or her family. Her family. But she, is, she specifically said that she mentions that she doesn't want Malta to dig where she doesn't need to dig. And so I think this is acknowledgement that Althea is right, that Malta, Malta is watching <laughs> and Malta is trying to get yeah. the dirt. So but Malta also acknowledges that she doesn't think that Kefria or Ronica noticed. Yeah. It is more just Malta's way focus of focus on relationships. Yeah. And weird trying to absorb <laughs> any kind of, why is a man looking at a woman like this? And why isn't learn. he looking at me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird that he would choose someone closer to his age. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
So thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Mm -hmm. And if you have any thoughts on this chapter so far or on this episode, please let us know. You can email us directly at isfitshappy at gmail.com. We don't always answer them, so sorry about that, but we do always read them. We're always looking forward to reading all of your thoughts and your comments and theories and just little updates. You can also comment on our posts on social media or direct message us on any one of those or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on threads, and on YouTube as well. So feel free to leave comments, DM us. Yeah. We like to know what you think. Okay, so now we're to my favorite part of the episode where we talk about what you guys have brought to us. And we're going to start with a correction. So, yeah. Episode 151. 161? 171? Oh my goodness. We're on, we're on 172 right now. So, 171. <laughs> Episode one seventy one. Last book, actually. (laughs) Let's just go back a little bit. Um, So, episode one seventy one, which is our last episode we posted, we talked about how Brashen didn't know that the Vivacia was being used as a slaver. Yeah, we when we were bringing up how like oh yeah, and Kenneth Kenneth apparently kills all the slavers' crew, and we were kind of thinking of he was using that as a don't worry. He mm-hmm. kills the the slaver's crew, and that's obviously not Vivacia. It's like, oh yeah, we he didn't know, so he's using this as a, it's okay, and all the family is like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we definitely tried to play that off a little bit, and Ellen made sure to mention to us that actually Brashen did hear did hear yeah. that Vivacia was a slaver. He just didn't believe it. Yes, so that he, was from Sincure Falden, I believe. Yes. When he was learning of Vivacia the first time. Yeah, Falden said that the live ship Kennet captured was a slaver. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Brashen refused to believe it. So I think it still stands that he could have been saying it in a comforting tone because I think he probably truly did not believe they would have done that. But just in case, he is kind of a upfront, blunt guy. So he might have yeah. just been saying it as like, this is what I know about the situation. Yep. Yeah, so maybe there was a little bit of thought, just the typical Brashen non-thought of how that would come across, especially considering he's doing this, trying to get Althea back in some weird way. Well, not trying. He, he never says he's trying to get Althea back. No, he just is excited to see her. He's so excited. He His ideal is that he's going to say this and <laughs> Althea is going to jump into his arms and be like, <laughs> let's go get them together, tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not house cat. <laughs> Let's go get him, Tiger. <laughs> so I think it's like a little ironic that he thinks that's going to be the reaction when he brings the news that, yeah, your your brother-in-law and nephew are probably dead. LOL. Let's go get him. <laughs> Let's go get the ship. Yeah. So thank you for the correction, Ellen. Yes. And Ellen also brings up that she thinks that we were too harsh on Greg and Althea's matchup. Yeah, basically, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I got to it, it was Greg is basically a product of society's pressures. Yeah. And Althea is looking for a romantic relationship where she does not have to compromise on whose happiness is prioritized. Right. Yeah, I think we kind of made it seem more like the biggest problem with the matchup between Althea and Greg is that Greg isn't going to be as comp- compromising. 
And Ellen argues that Greg would compromise, but Althea doesn't want a love where compromise is there at all, which is... It's not in a situation where they would be a good match together. Yeah, yeah. So I did really like, Ellen says specifically, if it's a choice between your or my happiness, then we can't truly be happy together. And that, like, that's Althea's point of view. Mm -hmm. And that's what she ends up getting but it is a really hard stance to take because it's not really how society works yeah and honestly any society and she still has to compromise and she does because yes she kind of gets her way but her way would be her being the captain her being the leader like never Mm -hmm. having a kid really but like having a man on the side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Brashen is the captain with the, with the bond with the ship. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's an easier compromise to make, though. And yes. Ellen brings up the fact that part of the compromise that Althea doesn't love is that even if Greg were willing to compromise and let her go against society, Althea knows firsthand how harsh society can be to somebody that is going against what they deem normal. And so she doesn't necessarily want Greg to be put in the situation where he has to go against society for her in Ellen's opinion. And I also like that take too, just like giving it a little bit more of a, Althea thinking things a little bit more ahead than Greg and it's not because he wouldn't do it it's because it would be hard and Althea Althea doesn't like that so yeah Yeah, thank you thank you Ellen then we have an email from Jonas about Malta from the last chapter and a lot of the first part of this email is about the discussion of Malta versus Althea and I think that happened really quick in the beginning of the chapter when Althea says I'm going out and then Malta makes the barb and they kind of have a small little tiff Mm -hmm. because Malta's trying to make everybody angry and she's bored Uh, and we had a conversation about Althea's kind of composure and her differences between her and her mom basically yeah yeah so I think in this moment Althea is just more blunt than Veronica. Yeah. And And that's just who she is. Yeah. And so that's the big difference. Um, And then Jonas goes on to talk about how it's actually really sad that Malta thinks every adult is out there to control her. Yeah. And is really telling of how she was raised. And and kind of wishes that there might have been a little bit more Althea when she was younger. She might have turned out a little bit better. Just saying Yeah how it is to her right up. yeah calling calling her out and deadpan just being like i'm not letting you get away with that right <laughs> but instead yeah she had a upbringing and i guess i haven't really thought about it from that angle necessarily that she doesn't trust any adults around her no. and she is at an age where obviously i think Especially when girls go through puberty, but puberty in general, there's like this weird shift where everything's weird and hormones are weird and you you start obstinate. Yeah. And you start wanting to like go against your parents will in some ways. I think even the best kids have that in that weird, awkward moment of puberty. But I think especially the fact that Malta doesn't feel like she can trust any adult. Right. 
right. is something. And she wants to be an adult so she can have more control is kind of really sad. And Jonas also talks about how. It says a lot about Kefri and Kyle's parenting. Yeah. And, uh, and specifically leaves out Ronica because Ronica is her grandmother. And while Ronica is an adult and parental figure to Malta right now and in the not book. not very motherly in general. And not motherly. Yeah. It isn't. It also isn't Ronica's yeah. job to be her mom because Ronica isn't her mom. And. It's awful that the pieces weren't picked up and that somebody wasn't there to help Malta and Selden whenever their parents were, her parents were being emotionally neglectful. Yeah. But it isn't necessarily on Ronica that she didn't catch that. They're not her kids. And so I think that's a really good call, too, because I think as a whole, we all kind of have been a little bit harsh on Ronica and how she treats Malta, which, like, Veronica is pretty harsh considering it is number one, her family member and number two, a child, but it's also Malta. So it kind of gets slid, uh, slid past, but really the onus is more on Kefria and Kyle right? because they've raised Malta to this point to be this way. It, Jonas, it ultimately says the burden of raising Malta should have never fallen on Ronica. In the end, it feels like nobody picked up the slack. Wintrow was raised by monks and good for him. Malta was raised by pulp novels, which is funny. Poor Selden isn't raised at all and roams around the house like a rat. Come on, <laughs> Kefria, get your shit together. <laughs> Very funny. I, we both laughed out loud yes. at the rat comment. We, we know that there was Nana who was around and they had other people, but these kids need their parents too. It's not just servants who can do the raising. And yeah. what Jonas says here is true. And then he goes in to talk more about how Malta needs to it feels like she needs to stand up for herself and refuses to be controlled and that's kind of where she's coming from she had no trust in any adult figure and now she's like need to take that back for myself i need to be the adult in the room and that's something that jonas says he really respects in her yeah and in that aspect for Jonas, that makes Malta fall more uh, closely in line with the characters of Althea and Ronica even. Just having that strong will and ability to stand up for yourself in a society. Independence. Where yeah, yeah, the independence. Being an independent woman when society tells you you can't be that. And being frustratingly... I don't know, just frustratingly obstinate. It's hard-headed. hard-headed <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for those thoughts, Jonas. It is a good call out to a little bit more sympathy for Malta. And then Jonas also had a question for the both of us. And the question is, do you think Kyle, given the choice, would let Malta marry a man she loved or the richest suitor available. Let's say they're still in relatively dire straits money-wise, because I do believe Kyle loves his daughter and spoils her. He would want her to be happy, but in my opinion, he would marry her to the highest bidder and Malta would have the disillusionment of a lifetime. What do you think? I'm of the opinion that he wouldn't let her marry whoever she wanted, but he wouldn't send her off to the highest bidder. He he would want the money but he would send her off to someone who he thought was a good match. Mm. 
So if it was, you know, like sending Malta away to like Chalcid or something for the highest bidder, I don't think he would do that. If it was another trader family who was like the second or third tier, but they like had a lot of money things, I think that would go. If it was Rainwild, I don't think he would do that. I, it's hard because Kyle doesn't know the Rainwilders exist. Right, right. So in this scenario, he would have just been explained the existence of these warty creatures that live in the deep yeah. forest and handle magic things. I think for the simple fact that he wants to be able to trade in Rainwild goods, he would choose Rain. I think it doesn't even necessarily matter the money mm, aspect as much fair. as the trading aspect because the it does. Connections and stuff. Yeah, it does really seem like that's what he likes about Kefria is that she could get him a live ship. The prestige. Yeah. And it comes with it, which is mainly the Rainwild River. Yeah, but I, I kind of like your theory that it would be more about what match he personally believes is best rather than who has the most money. I think and ultimately it could line up where the best match that he thinks is the person with the most money. Yeah. And I think Jonas is somewhat correct in his assumption there. And I think she would have a disillusionment of I the lifetime. I don't know. Part of me wonders if even she if would Kyle probably go for it too. Yeah. I yeah. feel like even if <laughs> Kyle came in and was like, you have to marry the rain wilder because he has a lot of money. She'd be like, yeah, daddy, you're so smart. Oh, I should not have said it like that. <laughs> yeah father you are so smart like i think she would really agree with that aspect yeah but maybe not maybe she would be really upset that her father isn't letting her because she doesn't love anybody yet right is the thing and her whole deal at the beginning of the series at least is that she doesn't want to get married right away she doesn't want to settle down and have a kid like a cow to be married off like her mom she wants to date it a little bit, you know? Yeah, she wants to date around. She wants to explore the world before settling down at the ripe old age of 18 when you're decrepit and a grandmother. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard because no matter what, she's going to be disappointed. I think in her mind, when she's waiting for her dad to come in and tell her which suitor to go after, it's not because she's waiting for him to tell her who to marry. She's waiting for him to tell her how to get money out of all of them and not have to say yes to any of them. Right. Yeah. And she's hoping for a solution that takes it out of her hands where she doesn't have to make any choice. Yeah. But I don't think she's thinking of it as her father would in any way make her get married. Whereas I think that is the only thing Kyle would be thinking about. And I don't think there's a world where Kyle's like, she's not ready to be married. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there is disillusionment in Malta's future had this book turned out differently, but yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily know that it is fully about the money, but I think that is a big driving factor. Right. Thank you, Jonas. Yeah, thanks, Jonas. And thank you to everybody who wrote in. We're going to also quick do a little talk. We had a poll about who would be the best rote character from all of Realm of the Elderlings to set up your friend with on a blind date. Yeah, this happened a little bit ago. Yeah. And we haven't had, we had a little break in the uh, episode, so we haven't had a chance to talk about it. Yeah, but you guys have spoken and... Ketrickin won. Ketrickin is the best person to set your friends up with on a blind date. Yeah, so if you were around a few weeks ago from when this is published, we had sent out a 
kind of a poll just to say like, hey, comment your thoughts of any character. And then we took all of those responses and add them into a bracket, similar to the last one that we did with who is the most annoying. Mm-hmm. Who won that one again? Was that Regal or was that Kyle? I think it was Kyle. It was Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was Kyle Kyle's the most annoying rote character. So we took all those responses, put it into a bracket, and then day after day, we kind of eliminated some, and it ultimately ended up being Verity versus Ketrickin. Yeah. Which surprised me, actually. I was kind of rooting for Jack a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm sad Jack went out. I don't know. I feel like there were a lot of good ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I can uh, list them right now, actually. Yeah. We had Verity versus Molly, which Verity won. Carson versus Jenna. Carson won. Jack versus Leftrin. Eki Kelter, who is a three ships woman who appears, I think, either at the end of this book or in the third book, mm-hmm. who is a three ships woman that Greg is kind of soft on later on. Yeah. And Greg Tanira. <laughs> Greg <laughs> wins that one. And Riddle, Starling, Althea, Dutiful, Birik, Brashen, Big Ferret, and Ketrickin. <laughs> Big Ferret was uh, one of the responses that we got, so we added him into the uh, the bracket. I thought that was a funny response anyways. Yeah. We get like a paragraph from him. Uh-huh. Just, well, not even from him, from his wit partner, Small Ferret. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had, a, we had a fun little bracket and the people spoke. Yeah, it was really funny to see some of the responses. Some people, we actually, one of the days, it was the last, second to last vote, um, where it was it was i think it was the second day because it was jack versus greg i think is the one you're talking about where two different people once said yeah okay so we (laughs) jack versus greg was a very very tight vote three votes separated them and we had one person chime in said (laughs) i don't know what to think if greg doesn't win and then the other person said oh bleh greg i hope jack wins yeah it was very funny they were literally like within the message was like within an hour of each other too so it was was even funnier that like two random strangers somewhere random in the world both at around the same time were doing this and thought the exact opposite thing so it was really funny to see and then i also really enjoyed we had um, a response from Rachel from Buckkeep Radio chime in and say thanks, Saw, when Ketrickin won. <laughs> so, very good call. Yeah. As a follower of Saw myself, I thought it was very, very good response. <laughs> yeah, most of you thought that Ketrickin would be the best person to set your friend up with on a blind date. Yeah. Although Ellen did say in one of the... Uh, in one of the comments on facebook that she would most likely poison you if it didn't go well so yeah so there is that to look (laughs) out for (laughs) there is danger there there is danger but hey maybe it wouldn't work like with fits (laughs) although it kind of (laughs) worked yeah that's true i do also want to mention that we got a really funny comment from john that said if verity had a smartphone he'd be following red ship raiders and elderlings accounts the whole time even sneaking out to the go to the bathroom or to get popcorn (laughs) During this little showdown of who's going to win, Ketrickin yeah. or himself. He's a little bit distracted. Yes. So I thought that was a really funny comment on who Verity is. But I don't know. I like Verity. I think he would have been a great date. He'd talk about maps. I don't know. That's pretty much it, though. Yeah. Maps, Ket- Ketrickin, soldiering. Listen, between the two, I don't know. I'd like to go on a date with both of them. I think Ketrickin would be 
she has much more varied top hobbies. True. So talking to her would be cool for that reason. I think Verity probably is pretty good with ladies, I would think. Probably. Not as good as chivalry, of course. No. <laughs> I don't know. It would be interesting. Yeah. I'd like to talk to both of them either way. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun to see the results. I'm sure we'll do another one soon. We're not really sure what kind of question we're going to ask. If anybody has any ideas, once again, feel free to send them in. We can, you know, take them into consideration. But we have been enjoying doing those and getting getting your guys' opinions on weird questions about Realm of the Elderling characters. Yeah. And if you guys have thoughts on different formats or anything like that, please also send those suggestions. Take those into consideration as well. Thank you so much for everyone who voted yeah. and participated. And everybody who writes in every week. It's really nice to hear from you guys. And we look forward to hearing what you have to say next week. 